How's everybody been? Good, good? Good, good, good. Excellent. That's good. How many people have not been excellent? Libby's had a very big week. Car pie I see has gotten better. That's great. You know, life can be, um, have some challenges in it. And just because you're a Christian doesn't mean to say that, you know, life is a garden of roses. You know, um, the cool thing about being a Christian is whatever comes our way, there is a path that will lead us out of that. Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, uh, uh, all things will work for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. Note, all things will work to good for those, and there is an important last bit of that, who are called according to his purpose. You see, in your life, it is incredibly important that you understand as a Christian that you are called to a purpose by God. I want to carry on the theme of uh, what is our purpose? What is your purpose? Note the connection that because you live in the zone of living out the purpose of God, it will therefore enter into the aspects of life where difficulty comes. And there are difficulties that do come that we have to be able to walk through. But God promises to make a way where you can walk through difficulty and turn difficulty to good. But the connection is highly purpose and under, highly important, sorry, and understanding the aspect of purpose. Lots of Christians live life, but they don't live a life that is strongly connected to the purpose. And then they wonder why that when storms of life come, that they lose their footing so easily and uh, become overwhelmed by life. And there is a strong connection, I believe, to understanding that it is about living a life with God's purpose. And that will then eventuate and help you through difficulty. God will not abandon you through difficulty, but if you are a Christian living with an understanding of your purpose, and you're living in that purpose, that puts you in what I would call the zone. A life in the zone is a life that you are made for. A life in the zone is whereby God has full access to you and is able to pour every blessing and every aspect of life upon you. Are you with me? Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for the word. I thank you, God, that you designed us with purpose in mind. Each and every one that is here this morning and that is listening uh, via technology was made for your purpose. And Lord, I pray this morning we would have a deeper understanding of what it means to live a life in the purpose we were designed to live in. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help me bring understanding beyond my knowledge to us this morning. We are reliant on you, Holy Spirit. We uh, have nothing in ourselves, Holy Spirit. You were sent by the Father, Holy Spirit, to empower us, to comfort us, to teach us, to lead us, to guide us, to inspire us. Bring understanding through your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen? amen. Cool. So, Proverbs 16 verse 4 says, the Lord has made everything for its purpose, 
Even the wicked for a day of trouble. Crazy. Even the wicked for a day of trouble. God uses even the wickedness of man to fulfill purpose. But those that walk in his purpose, that's the place to be because you were made for it. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good work. It's good workers, good works. You see, purpose is strongly uh, connected to living a life where there is an outworking of good in your life because God's purpose is not for you to live a life representing Him, bringing bad to the earth. No, 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 no. God's purpose for you is that you will be a, a channel, an instigator, a changer of the world because good comes through the world because you, to the world because you are living in God's purpose. You are destined by God to bring good to a planet that badly needs it. Watch that. I mean... What a life to live. Why would you not want to live a life to bring good? Hallelujah. Um, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The mind of God, before you were conceived, even began to think thoughts in regards to creating you with a purpose in mind. It's like a person who designs something that designed a Ferrari or designed, you know, some tool because he was making the tool because that tool was going to fit a specific purpose. You are made, friends, for this purpose. From a mind that is greater than you can understand. From a mind that conceives things way beyond what we think is possible. Pretty cool. You are and still, you have been and still are in the mind of God. You are not just sort of here, living life, and you know, tomorrow you die. You are not randomly created from a whole lot of chemicals getting together. You are made because God made you. That's the difference between a Christian and a non Christian. You understand God made you with a purpose. Last week we looked at what is that purpose? Well, it is strongly connected to the two greatest commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind and with all your strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. So you cannot live out God's purpose unless you are loving God with all your heart, with all your, mo- with all your soul, with everything a- about you, with all your strength, that's how he expects you to live out that purpose. And then to love your neighbor as yourself. So purpose, love God, live a life that that is your central core and quite closely connected to that is this thing called to love your neighbor as yourself. This morning I want to talk to you about what does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself. A lot of you maybe don't have a problem loving yourself. Maybe some of you do have a problem loving yourself because of what life has done. But the expectation and how God made you is to have this aspect of good works that 
demonstrates your love of God and is outworked to your fellow man. But I want to ask you this morning an interesting question that I'm sure you've probably heard a message before about is, who actually is your neighbor? What does it mean? You can't love a neighbor if you don't know who that neighbor is. You can't love someone you don't know who that is. True? Amen? Hallelujah. Um, Our main purpose is to love God and to love our neighbor as ourselves. The word love that has been used there is a word that is actually a doing word, uh, which means it's love that is demonstrated by what you do. It's not a love that you say when you come to church, I love God, and that's where it ends. It is a love that must be demonstrated on on how you live your life. You can't love your neighbor if you only say it in word because that language used in the original text is to demonstrate that there is a demonstration or an evidence that you are actually loving someone. I asked the question last week, is there evidence if you were to come before a magistrate or a judge and they were to sit there and you were acting as your own lawyer and the, uh, do you have the evidence to say before God or to say before the judge, huh, here's the evidence that I am demonstrating my love for God and my love for my fellow man. This, 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 this. Is there evidence? Can you see it? Can others see it? And I'm not saying we proclaim all the good things we do, but what what I am saying is lots of people say because words are cheap, because words don't cost a lot. Actions cost more. If I say I love my wife and yet I don't demonstrate it, would my wife think I love her? If rather I say I love my wife, when I made my wedding vows, but then my life lives an action that only demonstrates that in fact she's there for me to use, she's only there for me to take from, then I wouldn't be loving her. True? Can I have an amen? Good. What do you think, Hugh? Have you got evidence? Sue Ann, has he got evidence? Oh, 50 50. <laughs> But it's true. Words are cheap. You can come here on a, on a Sunday and live a particular or portray through what you say and throw a hallelujah in and, and yes, God. But through the week, the evidence speaks otherwise. Sadly, you know, that is sometimes the case, which feeds the world's aspect of Christians are hypocrites. Hallelujah. Nobody's perfect. 1 John 3.17 says, But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? But whoever who has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart, no, shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? You see, again, how can you say that if there are people passing by you every day and there are needs that are out there that your pocket is not activated sometimes? You're not here to fulfill every need, 
But you are here to fill some needs where people need help. I love the generosity of Australia. I love the fact that when those floods hit northern New, uh, New South Wales and up into Queensland, that this nation has a generous heart. And that many people gave. We had people contacting us to say, how can I give to that need? Because they realise they have material goods and that they could send those material goods to make a difference to somebody they may may never meet. Hey, that's a really cool thing. I love that we're as a church and we as a movement, the ACC, when there is a disaster, be it in uh, Australia or the Ukraine or or Afghanistan, we have a means or a channel whereby we can put money in and know that it's going to go to where it needs to go. We are privileged to be part of an organisation that enables us from our plenty to give to those that have need. Hallelujah. I hope maybe that your heart was not hardened towards maybe those you don't know, but maybe there was a sense of, hey, what can I do to help? Hallelujah. Because that's the evidence that God's love is at work in you. Because the question at the end of that scripture is, how does the love of God abide in him? If you harden your heart, to a need around you that maybe you're meant, you might not be able to fill it, but you should, you should at least feel something towards people and struggle because that's what the love of God does. I am not the most caring man on the planet. I said it last week. Um, I'm getting better at it, but I ain't getting better at it because I'm smarter The only way that I'm growing in my ability to care for others is because when the love of God activates inside of me, it brings life and compassion and care for my neighbors. Do you understand? So the evidence of a hard heart is perhaps God's love is a bit distant. But the evidence of when it's at work and it's active is the sense of compassion and care for others. Am I making sense? You see... The purposes of God are not difficult to try and uh, examine. Sometimes his plans and the actual specifics can be a little bit of a challenge. But friend, your actual purpose is not hard to understand because it's about you loving him and letting his love come unto you and then you distributing out of that love to those around you that he remember predestined before you were even formed that he conceived in his mind because he's not trapped by time he lives out of time, that he would knew there would be moments where he would specifically and strategically put you to be a channel of good. Are you? Am I? Hallelujah. Evidence is an interesting thing. Selfishness is a deep part of the carnal man. Selfishness can portray itself in a super lot of interesting ways. There are people that maybe do good things because they want everybody to say, wow, you're good. That's actually coming out of a wrong motive. That's a selfish motive. You know, because they want to be seen by men. You know, the heart can be very, very uh, tricky, deceiving. It says this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 1 through to 5. 
this is a scripture. Paul wrote to Timothy, a man who was an overseer, to understand the climate that they were living in, to understand the climate of a world that was godless, to understand what that fruit was. You see, the last days actually began the moment Jesus was resurrected. That's the beginning of the last days. Are you in the last days, friend? Yes, you are. This is not, I'm not going to stay too long on this, but I want you to understand there is a problem in the world. It was identified, and Paul was trying to tell Timothy about it. And that is this. It says this, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Whew, perilous times. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful. Oh, oh. Are my kids here? No, nah, joking. <laughs> Can't help myself. Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving. Unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. But watch the big one at the end. Having a form of godliness but denying the power for such people turn away. See, unloving or that un- inability to care is kind of um, a fruit of the world without God. But that can sneak in to the church and see, you know, you ever heard that song, The Power of Love? And that's the power of love. I thought that sounded all right. You see, godliness attached to religion, attached to, attached to self-righteousness, lacks power. Godliness attached to the love of God and demonstrated out through good works is power, and that is the power of God. Hallelujah. Who's the guy that wrote that song? What, what, what are those guys called? What is it? Huey Lewis, and we have a dire straits over there. Who knows? I don't know if Huey Lewis or Dyer Stra- Straits realized they were prophets. Okay, so I want to ask you the question posed this morning. You can't love your neighbor unless you understand the definition of what it means when he says to love your neighbor. Do you know that in the New Testament, the Mosaic laws when they were given, when they were commanded to love their neighbor and to treat them a particular way and use that language, neighbor, the only, the, there is no description of what it means neighbor. It was left blank in fact. In fact, the usage when it first began of the word neighbor was to represent someone of a different ethnicity and nationality. So at the beginning of when the word neighbor was used in scripture, the first time it was used was actually to represent someone who's not like you, basically. When the Mosaic law was given, they they didn't know what what it meant. 
you know, other than the first time it was used. They tried to interpret it. They tried to say, well, it means this and this and this. And there were people that they, in their description of what their neighbor meant, that were exempt of being considered their neighbor. There were those that they would consider, we don't need to love them because they don't fit in our definition of neighbor. You see, everybody, you today, whether you know it or not, have a definition of what the Bible says is your neighbor. And you know it might be incorrect. Because the problem with the scribes and the Pharisees and those who were interpreting the law of Moses was in fact that their definition was very limited and in fact very flawed. Maybe that might be the case here. I don't know. It's your lucky day though because I'm going to help you understand it. Hallelujah. Who is your neighbor? There was a lawyer that approached Jesus. The lawyer was a guy who was an expert in the Mosaic law. So he had a definition of what it meant to love his neighbor. When he said, Jesus, what are the, you know, how do I do these things? And Jesus said, or what does it mean to love, love my neighbor? Jesus gave him a parable to define what neighbor meant. Hallelujah. So I'm going to ask you this morning to stand as I read this parable because there is a moment that I'm trying to pick, which is the right one because I got, always have a bit of scripture where I want you to stand and respect. See, here's the thing about this parable we're about to read. The parable was given because Jesus came to fulfill the Mosaic law. So when Jesus is giving this description of neighbor, of what it means to be neighbor, he was telling someone who should have known, number one. But secondly, it was sent to us to fulfill understanding of the Lord. Jesus came to fulfill understanding. So him giving us this parable, this explanation is in fact helping you and I get a grip of what it means to love your neighbor. So I'm going to read it now because you've been standing up, but it's good. Hallelujah. Luke 10, 29, 37, talking to the lawyer. But he, uh, wanting to justify himself, this is the lawyer, expert in the law, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Verse 30, then Jesus answered and said, a parable. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. Note the word half dead. 31. Now by chance a certain priest, a representative of God, came down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came uh, where he was. And when he saw him, three of them saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring out oil, or pouring on oil and wine, and set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. 35. And on the next day when he had departed, he took out two denaria, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come back, I will repay you. 36. So which of the three do you think was neighbor? To him who fell among the thieves. In verse 37. And he said, he who showed mercy on him. 
Then Jesus said, go and do likewise. Super interesting. Grab a seat. I, I'm, I mean, I've, how many sermons you heard on this? Well, I'm going to try and show you something maybe a little. You're right there, Sue Ann? If he loved you, he'd carry you out. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, okay. Remember, this is to help you and I understand who is your neighbor. Okay, we have a lawyer, an expert in the Mosaic law. He taught in schools. He, he, um, he told everybody how to interpret what the Mosaic law was. He taught in synagogues as well. Uh, note that he was trying to justify himself through talking to Jesus, because that's what it tells us. Um, he was trying to say to Jesus in his questioning, not was he really trying to understand, rather he was trying to justify that, hey, dude, I already know this. I'm already doing this stuff. I already got this sus. I already know what it means to love my neighbor, and I'm just going to let you see how good I am. Trying to justify himself. You know, a bit of the old self-righteous, woohoo, look at me, I'm pretty darn good. And Jesus responds to that heart motive, which is kind of interesting. Um, now the word neighbor, simply if you look in the Greek uh, with that particular scripture that, that we just read, just basically means a nearby fellow human being, right? The man. Oh, so, so sorry, I'm jumping the gun. So we have the priest, then we have the Levite who was a teacher, again and a law expert both displayed the same characteristics why did they not respond to the possible neighbour that was with them now let's look at the man the man who was half dead now I want to ask you the question, what does it mean half dead I mean, which half? He was half dead. My thing about that is if we want to bring it into modern language, he had been beaten and injured in such a way that he would be, de- that he would be defined as critically ill. And if he were alive today, he would be rushed to intensive care because he was caught in the middle of life and death, that he could fall that way into death or he could fall that way into life, so he was critically ill. So he would have been rushed to intensive care. He was in a bad way. Now imagine yourself walking down the main street of Yarrawonga, maybe there's not too many people around, and if you saw a critically ill person, you would hope that you would rush across the road, get on the phone. What's uh, the emergency number here? Triple O, should know that. New Zealand, it's 111. But anyway, I'm caught between two worlds. It's trouble. Anyway, um, imagine that. <laughs> I mean, surely you would go help, eh? True? You think you would? Hmm. 
half dead. Both men saw the other two. Both men made a decision that in their brain, in their mind, as they interpreted what they saw, they made a decision, hey, no, man, uh, I am just not going there. I'm going here. And the Bible, again, in this parable, does not give us an explanation why. There is no explanation why two men chose to cross the road. You know why? Because I'm telling you, there are a thousand reasons why people cross the road. There are a lot of reasons why people make a decision when they see a need, when they see something that requires help that maybe they're meant to fulfill. And there can be a myriad of reasons why you or I might choose to cross the other side. You know, busy, 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 busy. Both the religious people were off to do the religious thing. And I'm going to tell you an illustration about how I am guilty of such a thing. You wouldn't believe it about me, I know, but it's true. Uh, Last year sometime, maybe the year before, I can't remember, because of COVID and because this thing's not quite functioning how it used to. uh, I had an appointment in the main street of Yarrawonga. And um, I was to go and meet this person. It was kind of an important meeting. And I was looking forward to that meeting where we would discuss things that I felt were quite important. Because I'm involved in it, so it must be important. <laughs> and uh, I'm there and I'm waiting for the appointment. And I'm waiting outside a cafe. And some of you heard this, but I've got to tell it again. Um, and I uh, am there waiting, looking at my watch, thinking, you know, where is he? This is important. I'm a busy man. Time is important. And then I look in the middle of, middle of the road and there's an old, sorry, oops, an elderly lady caught in the middle of the parking area trying to get across the road and cars are just going zoom, zoom, zoom. And she's got a look on her face of fear. And she cannot work out how to get across the road. And then I see a gap come and I think, she's going to make that one. And uh, the car that had the gap put the gas on and squashed that baby up because he was in a hurry as well. And then the woman was stuck there. And then because I'm a Christian, I think, Keith, go and help the elderly lady to cross the road. She's my neighbor. And... uh, but at that very second, my appointment arrived. I remember my brain clicked into, oh, this is an important meeting. And the woman and her difficulty just left my brain. And I just got deeply involved in my conversation with this person because it was so important, because I thought it was important. And uh, who knows what happened to that lady? I don't know. But I've got to tell you what happened to me a day later when I was preparing a message that the Holy Spirit came to me and gave me a slap on the ear roll and said, and reminded me of it. Now that's just a little, but I can tell you there are lots of reasons why we miss our moments. Because we can be busy. I'll give you a few more. Do you like that illustration? None of you, of course. You know, 
Please help me to be more like you. Why? Why did they walk on by? Busy? Didn't want to get involved? Maybe he fell into the category of unclean. Oh, because they saw him and maybe he slotted into the Mosaic law that said, oh, dude, don't touch them, they're unclean. Because religious people have some areas where they think, well, that's unclean. You know, I can't get into that situation because that person is something like this. And well, well, no, I'm a holy person. Can't take that holiness down to that level. Oh, no. No, 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 no. Didn't care. And this is the hardened heart thing. You know what? They see the dilemma and they just don't care. They didn't care. They didn't care a drop that there was someone half dead that could have done with their help and they just did not have any emotion involved in caring and they just walked on by because they did not understand what it meant to love because love is to demonstrate through our actions. Hallelujah. That's why when it said in that scripture I read at the beginning, how can the love of God live in that person if they don't care? How can the love of God live in us if we don't care? Well, the point is it doesn't. Or it's maybe a little bit. Or maybe we just care about the people. We think, oh, that's my neighbor. Not that guy. Not that person. You know, the thing that really has driven me crazy inside Christianity is this line that the government tried to draw and so many Christians fell into it and so many Christians entered into either the vax or the non-vax. So many Christians entered into, you know, vax man. And others said, whoa, no, that vax, it's bad stuff. Fair enough, you're allowed to make a choice. But when people attack others, because they made the choice, because they thought, and man, it it breaks my heart that I have heard so much come out because to me, that ain't loving your neighbor, friend. That's calling someone unclean. And you know, I've even heard the language come out from people that said, they'll get what they deserve. What? What? That smells of religion. That smells of a godliness that lacks the power. You with me? It's my job. Man, I I have some of that stuff. Where I make the choice like those religious men, the Levite, and the priest, where I will throw someone into the category and go, well, dude, that is unclean. Meaning, I think they're not worth me putting my energy into. Because they're half dead, 
And they deserve it. You know, when people make stupid choices. And then we just go, you know what? They deserved it. Nobody here like that? Gee, what the heck? (laughs) But you know, I'm not trying to point the finger. I'm trying to tell you that the smelly rag of religion and lacking love and lacking interpreting what it means to to, uh, love our neighbor wasn't just a struggle for those people back then to interpret it, but we still have that struggle here today. And the only way you can destroy it, the only way that you can remedy that is to let the love of God come in to you. You with me? I'm not picking on anybody here. I'm, I'm telling you. I'm just telling you what I think he's saying to me about what it means for us. See, we're a church. And our, we have two purposes. Love God. Love God. Love our neighbor. We do. You know, if I'm, if I'm meant to be this person that's going to lead you, I, I've got to teach you how to love God, to love God and live your life with Him as your number one purpose. And secondly, that there is this outworking, that evidence that demonstrates, friends, that we have coming out of us, loving our neighbor. You with me? Is this a bad message? Did you know I'm pregnant? I'm not trying to bully you. I'm just trying to look on our dudes. We're going to widen the sphere of who we think our neighbor is. You know, we need to be people. We may not be able to help, but when you hear of something, some poor family, someone killed, uh, a, a mom killed herself in our town last week. She's got kids that are dealing with the fact that the mum took her life. There are the repercussions in all our town. Do we care? Do we care? Or is it just like, oh, just flicked on by? Because I reckon we're meant to be a light. I reckon we're meant to care. Or are we so wrapped up in clean and unclean We're just missing the moment, missing the mark. Where's the good stuff in this? Got to be some good stuff in this, surely. Interesting. I had um, someone who came to me. Oh, how can I say this? Nah, I won't. It's good. Jesus said this in an explanation to what it means to love your neighbor. He said that your neighbor is people around you who are in need, whatever their ethnicity, whatever their nationality, whatever their thoughts about life, that they fall into the category of neighbor because they are your fellow man. They are my fellow man. And there's a lot of them around, I reckon. True. 
How many fellow men do you have around your life? Bowen, how many? Quite a few. Gee, what's your purpose? Well, you've got to try and help those in that category of humans when you see need. And it might be that you just care and you tell them you care. It might be just that you, you know that poor family to me, Father, we just prayed for that family that lost their mum. Lord, you care. Holy Spirit, we pray that comfort would flow and touch that family. Lord, we even, Lord, the, the people that went to the scene, we had a connection with someone who went to the scene. And Lord, the overwhelming struggle that it is for them. Touch them. Touch each person and let them know that your comfort is there for them. In Jesus' name. My message to us today is, friends, living out the purpose of God is what the world needs. When you choose to reject, to live out the purpose of God, you are denying the world of good. You are denying God the plan that he conceived in his mind for you. I don't reckon that's a good space, right? But the most wondrous thing is that you can be, and I know many of us are, channels of good. But it's got to widen. It's got to go further than where it's been. You know what? You might be a liberal supporter. Guess what? You've got to love a Labour supporter. You might be a Labour supporter. You know? Jesus said to the, to the guy at the end of his conversation, and he said to him, oh, sorry, so which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among thieves? And he said, he who showed mercy to him. Jesus said, go do likewise. Kind of simple. The word mercy is the same word for compassion used earlier, uh, earlier in that um, parable. Compassion and mercy are not earned. People who don't deserve compassion and mercy, in your view, you got it wrong. Because mercy and, com and compassion are given because of their problem and struggle. Go do likewise. So I just want to inspire us as a church to be dispensers of mercy and compassion to be careful that the busyness of life and whatever is going on around our world does not rob the kingdom of you channeling the mercy and compassion God wants you to do. And that we as a church are not so busy with all our whatever that we miss our moments as a church to be a community that channel mercy and compassion. Hallelujah.